Welcome to the UP Tech Talk podcast, coming to you from the new Academic Multimedia Studio on the University of Portland campus, produced by Academic Technology Services, with your hosts, Maria Erb and Sam Williams. Welcome to the UP Tech Talk podcast. Today we have with us Dr. Eric Enkel with the University of Portland School of Education. Thank you for joining us. Great. Thanks. Great to be here. Eric, it's always so much fun having you. You're just one of our favorite guests. And oh, well, thank you. Let me just say that I always feel like I've got Bruce Sterling right here in front of me. And oh. it, like we've got this front row seat to the future every time you show up. So um, we've been having a little pre-conversation about uh, virtual reality and artificial intelligence and in the K-12 landscape, mm-hmm. can you set the stage for our audience? Because I think a lot of people just don't know what it's like out there in the trenches and what's about to happen. Sure. Well, I think um, a couple of things. Schools are notoriously slow to change. They're big organizations. They're diffused across um, big places. And uh, it it's hard for them, I think, sometimes to get ahead of, of things um, when it comes to innovation because they have a lot of things that are weighing down um, their ability to be nimble. They're not market-driven the same way that private companies are, um, and they're trying to satisfy a lot of different constituencies with a lot of different needs. When you're trying to get a kid at, at grade level in terms of reading or mathematics, sometimes it doesn't leave a lot of room to explore what like virtual reality would look like in that kid's, in that kid's life. Um, so I think that as a baseline, it's important to remember how slow schools can sometimes move. And they're not often the ones that are um, driving the change. It's usually private industry that will come in and drive that change. Sometimes it'll come in through laws or regulations and mandates. But a lot of times it's private industry saying, here are some really cool toys. Here are some cool tools. Here are some things that you guys should think about using. And how might it work in your classroom? Then what will happen is you'll have an educator in the building. Maybe it's a media specialist or it's just a teacher who has an interest in technology or in media. And they're the person who becomes kind of the evangelist for that technology and whether or not it'll start being used within a school. And then how quickly leadership backs that up and how quickly money comes in to support those things will oftentimes dictate whether or not something is going to be adopted and be used by other teachers. But you really need that one teacher to kind of show people that it's um, – that, that you can use something cool and how might it be used in the classroom and kind of demonstrate it almost for them, kind of be the beta tester in the room. And then other teachers will sometimes get on board. So a good example of this right now is um, Google and their virtual reality classes and them having a pretty, what seems like a pretty formal um, program for bringing virtual reality to classrooms. So being able to supply the classes and the smartphones that run the the software to give kids um, a virtual field trip and then a teacher to invite them in. And then when other teachers hear kids talking about the, um, you know, a national parks virtual reality field trip, the excitement's pretty, pretty palpable. Um, Mm -hmm. And then other teachers are like, oh, maybe virtual reality is something I'd want to see in my classroom. So it's Mm -hmm. that, but that is um, the, the, what I see is sort of the progression of how these things are used in schools. And then whether or not people adopt it or whether or not it can be adopted is kind of another matter. That's what you saw with things like iPads. You saw it with Chromebooks. You see it with um, teachers who are willing to have smartphones in their classrooms and use them as as an instructional tool versus versus teachers who just say, no, I'm not going to have smartphones in my classroom, and here's why, and they just close the door to it. So there's a lot of human behavior behind what you're really seeing. Well, and I think it was interesting, Google's most recent experiment with this and kind of their launch into, you know, I'd say back into that world because we had Google Glass and we've had some of the others. The what was interesting is the the um, the cardboard 
Oh, uh-huh. you know, the like it, they almost like chose a purposeful approach, very inexpensive, like two dollar yep. thing to augment your phone. Yeah, and you can build it yourself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you don't need an engineer to come in and put this together for you. Yeah. All you really need is to be able to get that smartphone in there. Yeah. yeah. So I think they it was an interesting approach, especially for the classroom, when you have like you know people with no budgets for the most part in the K, especially K through twelve world. Um, to be able to do this DIY, yeah, um, and I think it w- versus the Google Glass at yeah. the, at the most expensive side, mm-hmm. which was tried out in a few you know yeah. classrooms, but it just wasn't. You're not able to replicate those things, yeah. So, um, so it, I, that was one thing that I noticed that was pretty. interesting. And it's another example of how I feel humbled by trying to predict the future because I saw the when I first saw the cardboard once, I thought oh, this isn't going to work. Like that, my first inclination was this is just hokey. <laughs> and it, I kind of like it. Kind of reminds me of when I remember um, you in the olden days of having a, a cell phone, you could buy ringtones for a dollar, oh. and I thought no one is going to pay a dollar for a ringtone. <laughs> this is just ridiculous, and it ended up being like a billion dollar yes. business. Like I totally. Missed that. I also thought text messages were kind of a fad. Like, who wants this? You know? Well, you probably so, shouldn't say too many of them because you're our expert on yeah. it right now. But. but I am humbled sometimes where I I really think the market will go a certain way or I'll think that's never going to work. And then it really does work and it, it surprises me. And the cardboard was really genius for the reasons that you talked about. Google Glass was such a big investment up front. And the payoff was interesting, but it wasn't like revolutionary in the way it feels. But when you put on even just those what are probably like $3 virtual reality cardboard glasses, but then you throw a phone in there and you put headphones on and you have a virtual reality experience, you realize, oh, this is this is revolutionary. This really is going to change the way that I experience a video game or a movie or the Civil War in school or a whole host of things. Maybe I'll shop this way. What will it be like to walk through a virtual reality store? What would it like to what would a virtual reality dating look like in social relationships? And there's so many things. And that three dollar cardboard box and that phone makes that kind of opens that world up. And I wouldn't have thought that was gonna work, but only I only had to try it one time to realize, holy cow, this is for real. Well and then we have, you know, Microsoft coming on board with their is it hollow? I always get it wrong. Ben hollow? Hollow lens. Hollow lens. I just have to. I always get it wrong. But so they have their hollow lens, and we've got um, Facebook that bought uh, um, Oculus. Oculus, Oculus Rift. Rift. Yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so I think everybody's preparing yep. um, for this. I even saw in the news last night um, here in Portland um, where Microsoft is jumping in with um, augmented in the grocery store. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I'm just like, oh my goodness, this is getting. Like, what is going to be real? Where's yeah. that line? Yeah. You know? Well, but of course, it's been on the verge for, what, 10, 15 years now at least. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. is it kind of like the solar panels of, Yeah, I don't know. Like, I think just you know, around the corner. Because for, it yeah. so naturally dovetails into entertainment, I have to think it's not a fad. Mm-hmm. Like, it's going to really have traction. Um, and virtual reality, I was um, just describing a scenario. I, I love to snow ski. I love skiing. It's incredible. It's the most fun thing I can do in my life. And But I have thought when I've been skiing... And I'm wearing goggles already mm-hmm. to keep out the snow. What would an immersive game-like environment be like if I was on skis? So, like, if I was up at Meadows and I'm skiing down a, a hill, what's to prevent a dragon from chasing me, you know, in that experience? Or what's to prevent me from feeling like I'm going through some kind of a video game while I'm skiing? And if I were to have that experience even just once, 
maybe I would be really addicted to it. Like, I think it was awesome. So that normal snow skiing wouldn't be the same anymore. Right. In the same way that sound, when it got put into pictures, at first people were really, really worried about that. You know, we were listen, we were used to silent movies. And then when sound came in and you realized, no, this does beat the orchestra on the front row. <laughs> I don't want to go back. And now you go and watch... Um, you know, the most recent Star Wars movie, and you don't think twice about the incredible audio that's there. I feel like that's what virtual reality might is going to do for entertainment, and it's going to spill over into education, or it needs to. Otherwise, education is going to feel really irrelevant. Well, and I was just watching recently. It's not true augmented reality, but it just made me um, laugh when you're the skiing thing because I just saw a video recently where people animated in after the fact like oh, they had huh. people falling down and everything and they mm-hmm. animated in people like this this monster chasing them down and, mm-hmm. and killing them but it was like animated after um, also we have a gentleman that's doing the um, the transparencies where he's animating on transparencies and putting them up putting them up in our world so he's actually animating something into the world but you see his hand holding up the transparency oh, uh-huh. and it's being animated um, so I think I, we're definitely I think people are ready for it. They're ready for having foreign objects in their world. Mm-hmm. Um, and at first it'll feel unnatural. It'll mm-hmm. feel weird and stuff. And then you'll just mm-hmm. get used to it. And then mm-hmm. it'll be something that you expect. And then when it's not there, you'll be disappointed. And, and then, then there'll be like the backlash for the, oh, the way, right. right? For the vinyl record. Yeah, exactly. I was just going to use that example. <laughs> yeah, probably, yeah. Yeah. Especially in Portland. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. We'll have whole coffee shops dedicated <laughs> just to right. computers. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We'll have computer labs popping up all over the place for the good old days. Yeah. Um, so virtual reality, augmented yes. reality. Mm-hmm. And then the, the, the third leg of the stool of what I see really coming um, is artificial intelligence in the classroom. Um, I demonstrate this now with an Amazon Echo. And um, and it's, a, it, it's crude technology as far as a sophisticated um, artificial intelligence goes. But when you demonstrate that you can communicate back and forth with it and you can ask it questions and you can do things like project the Echo app into your classroom and build a list, for example, you're doing it by you know uh, um, talking to it and then all of a sudden you see it populate on the screen, you start thinking this could just be the cassette tape of where we're headed. And we just can't even really imagine the iPod yet of what that will be and then the smartphone of what that would be to be able to stream music. And But I feel like artificial intelligence right now is it's that cassette tape. You know, it's moved past the 8-track. It's moved, moved past vinyl in terms of its portability and has some stuff, but it still has a long way to go. But I, I think that um, educators who ignore the potential impact of artificial intelligence are being really... Um, I don't know, ignorance is the wrong word, but just they're denying that that it is going to really change things. And when you walk into your house and you can talk to your home and have it be responsive to your needs, why wouldn't that be in a classroom? Well, it's almost like the classroom assistant, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. while the students are asking questions, you can't get around every student in an efficient way. Um, in a, a large classroom, so it'll be interesting. You also had another one that you were putting on the oh, network. yeah. What was that one? Barbie? The Barbie yeah. one. Yeah, so yeah. this is one that, I don't know, if if, if, uh, if your listeners haven't gone and seen a video of um, the Hello Barbie, it's one of the creepier things that it's out, and I think it's going to be in, in, in a bunch of toys. But what it is, it's a conventional Barbie, and she has a little bit of an artificial intelligence flavor to her and that you can talk to her and she remembers things and she's um, you know attached to the cloud so that she's got um, predictive analytics working for things like um, remembering your interests, remembering where you live, and then being able to feed these things back to you in a kind of conversation. And um, it's pretty it's pretty real's the wrong word, but it's a very surreal experience that again, 
is um, one step closer to being able to talk to your toys and have them talk back to you. And there's some really creepy possibilities for the conversations I guess you could have with Barbie. Well, and in two years, it'll be the the horror movie, uh, you know. Down the road, you always have to have that. Oh, right. It's a doll horror yeah. movie. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that'll be the next one. Yeah, but Hello Barbie's, um, she's kind of creepy. But you know, my next door neighbors, I have two. Um, our, our next door neighbors have two girls, and they're um, five and six. And um, they want to talk to Barbie, and they mm-hmm. come over and they say, you know, where's Barbie? <laughs> and uh, and they want to talk to her, and they get kind of frustrated with her. And one of the girls actually threw Barbie <laughs> uh, because Barbie. <laughs> And I said, what are you doing? What happened to Barbie? Well, she's behind the door because she wouldn't talk to me right. Oh, wow. But she will get better. And the way that she talked about her wasn't as if though she was talking about a regular inanimate doll. It animates a kind of – it animates a relationship that existed before, but it was always one directional. Like I had a Barbie and I would talk to it and I would tell it my dreams. And maybe I was one of those people who – who felt pretty comfortable talking to my Barbie as an imaginary-ish kind of friend, but that Barbie never talked back. But when Barbie's actually asking me questions now, and if I say I'm going on a trip, and she says, well, where are you going? And I say, well, I'm going to New York City. And then Barbie will say, well, what do you think you'll eat there? I love to go out to eat. What's your favorite kind of food? And then you say, well, my favorite food is Italian. Oh, I love Italian food. That's a relationship. Mm-hmm. And that's in a toy, and that's with a five-year-old girl. And so what, how long will it be before it's put into girls' and boys' toys, toys that are just designed for um, all kinds of situations? Um, I just have to think that that's when kids start getting used to their toys talking to them, that they're going to expect that. In the same way that today, when you buy like a little race car or something, you expect it to make a noise if you press a button. <laughs> so you just have to walk around Toys R Us, and you can see all the Try Me little stickers on so many toys because kids... And parents then come to expect that you can touch the toy and have it do something, make a sound or whatever. This is just the very beginning of what that's going to be like. Well, definitely when you start thinking about I, – I, immediately in my head, and I, could, I needed to bring it up, but it's this whole idea of having a tutor you know, in the classroom. Where Barbie can be your tutor in math. Yeah. You know, are you going to listen to Barbie or are you going to listen to your parents? Right. It's like it's just interesting how, you know, language acquisition, like yeah. learning a foreign language from from Barbie or Yeah, or yeah, cuz I've often yeah, I've often wondered like why go you so you're going to take a French class. So you go to French once a day like in high school and you kind of you, know, you you sort of learn how to speak French with some luck you have people who are speaking French around you and you're able to have a kind of immersive French experience at least for that hour or so. But what if you had an artificial intelligence that just taught you French? That when you woke up it was talking to you and you went to bed it was talking to you it talked to you about the pantalons you were putting on I mean all you can kind of see all the times in your day where it would be pretty convenient to have mm-hmm. this and it would switch to English and it would be back it would be kind of like like the movie Her where you have an yeah. operating system that is really forming a relationship with you but I think if we're not thinking about this in terms of ch- child development and the ki- way kids are oriented to their world mm-hmm. we it's we, it will the private sector will dictate to us what those relationships are in the same way that it's dictated to us that we have to have our cell phones in our pocket all the time yeah. so we need to be thinking about these things well not even the kids I mean in her was a perfect example of adults forming yeah. relationships and or survive Wilson right and survivor yeah. I mean so um, um, uh, you know, I, it's just all over the place, this idea, this innate, you know, attraction that people have just mm-hmm. to form relationships with whatever will form a relationship with them. Yeah, and, I've, used, and I've seen the example of a pet as, um, as, a, as a, you know, a similar kind of relationship. If you really deconstruct what a pet is, you know, a pet is something that you attribute 
uh, affection to. Mm-hmm. You you assume that it, it loves you back, but it really loves you for the food you feed it, and it, and <laughs> it becomes a companion, and it, and you have a relationship. But what is the relationship really? The relationship a lot of times is the human projecting onto the pet mm-hmm. the, all of the terms of the relationship. Oh, he just loves me. when he licks you, he's just giving you a kiss. No, he's not. He's gross. <laughs> he's just he's licking. But I don't think maybe it feels like affection. It's happy. There's that response, but is it really affection deep down? Am I really conveying a kiss the way if two humans do? And I know as a human, I'm kissing you. And there's a real purpose and intent behind that. And artificial intelligence might feel that same way. When I demonstrate the Amazon Echo, the um, the Q word for the operating system is Alexa. So when you're talking to the Echo, you, you prompt it by saying um, Alexa, and then you give it a command. So I'll say, Alexa, play OPB. And then it'll respond by saying, playing OPB on iHeartRadio. And then OPB Radio starts playing. It's great. I can ask it to play Led Zeppelin. I can ask it who the president of the United States is. And then, but when, when I'm giving these commands, if I want her, in quotation marks, to stop talking, I'll just say, Alexa, stop. <laughs> and the vo- I'll say, Alexa, volume up. Alexa, volume down. <clears throat> you know. And when I've demonstrated for this for people, I'll ask them afterwards. After showing about a 10-minute demonstration, I'll say, did anyone notice themselves feeling a little frustrated with me that I was giving commands but not being very polite? And people invariably will say, absolutely. Like, I thought you were kind of being a jerk. Like, and, and I say, well, am I being a jerk when I highlight a word in a Word document and hit delete? Is that me being a jerk? It's the same command. Now, but I formed a relationship with Alexa. She has a female voice, and it's pretty pleasing. It's not a bad voice. I like it. I much prefer it to the Siri um, mm, voice yeah. a, as an example. But I kind of have a relationship now with her, and I formed it in front of people. And those people now have expectations for how I should be civilly discoursing mm-hmm. with this operating system. That is fascinating. And it's really interesting. So we, I think we, we attribute an intelligence there and we attribute a personality and we do it to our dogs we do it to our cats and we will do it I think to artificial intelligence so it's not us it does I don't have to stray very far from where we are today to imagine a world where we attribute affection or loyalty and these kinds of things it's explored in science fiction a lot and one of the a great place to to see this is in the show humans um, that wrapped its first season um, it came, it's an import from the BBC but it's about um, synthetic humans and artificial intelligence it's a fascinating show but they kind of tackle some of these issues well and I think we're also we're putting the artificial intelligence into things like a Barbie you oh, know yeah. which it's already had issues yeah. um, through its its <laughs> its lifespan mm-hmm. it's 50 plus years <clears throat> I, I think, think so now. 1962 um, yeah. and so where in the past we put it in something like a Furby Right. <laughs> you know, it was in this it, this object that didn't look from here. Yeah. You know, and it was it was comical. Yeah, it's an know? RTD it's it's an RTD2. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so right. now we're, but we're putting them now into the objects that they a, a kid could identify with. Right. Yep. Um, and project onto a little bit more and but even looking at R2D2, I've always wondered like when I watch the Star Wars movies, they give R2D2 or C well C3O is not a good example, but any of the droids that you see in those movies with that don't use English. And you always think, has the technology not advanced enough that there would be some sort of translation or that you couldn't, like the code wouldn't just populate into the native language of the people who created it? And so it makes these sounds and these burps and these little, whatever those are, but it, it will respond with emotion. You know, it'll, it'll the, 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 the tones pitch, go in yeah. the pitch and stuff. And in, there are laugh lines. In the most recent one, there are a couple of laugh lines where the droid will do something in its droid speak, and we will, as an audience, recognize that the emotion behind that, and we also know that that's a laugh line or a joke or a punchline or whatever, and we will laugh appropriately. 
but that's that is us putting it all onto the thing. And I think we're going to continue to do that. And so when it comes to toys or if it comes to the artificial intelligence we already carry around, as crude as it is, it won't be long before it becomes much, much more convincing, passes a Turing test really, really quickly um, without much effort. And we will attribute a lot of emotions to these things. And then what do we do? Do we recognize them as, you know, they're not sentient beings, but what, do they have some kind of a civil rights? Do they, you know, that's an ex machina. You know, that's being that's the, the theme that's explored there when it comes to that artificial intelligence. Does that creation have some rights to it fundamentally? And I think you might have little kids who grow up with this stuff going, yeah, they absolutely do have rights. I don't know. My my brain keeps um, going back to uh, more of the immersive world. Like what I'm really like what you said earlier about the skiing and some of the other stuff. My my want is to have bring other things into my world mm-hmm. um, versus, I think, um, interacting um, with um, Siri, Cortana, like I still don't use Siri. Like I just, it to me, it just feels, it. I don't know. It's like I don't know what to tell you to make you do what I need you to do. Mm-hmm. Like, what's my list of things that yeah. you will listen to? Um, <laughs> versus when we get to a, a more sophisticated version of it, that's I don't have to prompt. Right. You know, I can just speak freely. Mm-hmm. Um, or the moment where I can put on my glasses and I'm. You know, I have things that are being brought into my world. Um, I also immediately think, what's going to happen? We can't text when we drive. So what's going to happen? I take off my glasses when I drive because I'm sure that's going to distract oh. me if I have a bunch yeah. of things flying into the screen. Yeah, all the time. Sure will. Uh, it's one thing to be on a ski slope, but another thing when I'm driving my car reading the paper. Um, so I, I don't know. It's going to be, well, I guess with Google and Apple and everybody, the cars are going to drive themselves. So we have oh. to do something in the car. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It will become a media-rich environment for us to do all kinds of things. I have to think that that's the direction things are going to go. Um, then we can say, Siri, take me to, and just go there. Right. Um, and while you're driving me, why don't you make me a dirty martini? <laughs> <laughs> Um, so now, so you're trying all these things in the classroom, which we need to go. I, I need to I need to go into your classroom sometime. Yeah. When you're actually showing this stuff, so I can just. I would. I'm really fascinated to see everybody's response to to the technology. Mm-hmm. Um, so have you um, found that you found like actual assignments that have been very helpful? Like, have you, have you been able to apply it to your curriculum really well? Or is it just more of like Introducing show and tell? Ideas. Yeah, or? at this point, it's show and tell. And, you know, one of the things that's interesting is I feel like, so your average, I, let's say we walk into an average freshman class at the university with, you know, uh, traditional age college students, 18-year-olds for the most part, 19-year-olds. You would think that they would be like have open arms and be kind of clamoring for this. They grew up in a digital space and with, with all the, in a media-rich environment. But a lot of them are really, really reluctant to think about ways that they could implement this into their own classrooms. It's hard because they don't have their own classrooms yet. But some of them are very, much more traditionalist than I would have expected. Like, you know, we just need to – what happened to cursive writing and things that mm-hmm. I, I would – kind of expect them to say, oh, no, let's get rid of cursive. Are you kidding me? Who's going to be using cursive no, in 20 a, years? A lot of them are like that. When, yeah. we, when we talked with them last year, Sam and I did, um, we asked them how many of them read on a Kindle because, like, why wouldn't you do that? And uh, really not that many do. A lot yeah. of them cited reasons of, well, it's too distracting, mm-hmm. you know, right, because there's too much else going on on that t- device or tablet for them to just read. But a lot of them said things like, I want to hold a book in my hand. Mm-hmm. I like to turn pages. I want to be able to, you know, mark it up and highlight and just read it if the 
if I can't charge my device right. or whatever it is, yeah. you know. That yeah. interface is what I prefer, would be mm-hmm. how they would kind of think of it. Yeah. So what will be interesting to, for me is when you have an operating system, right now you have all these things competing for your attention kind of across these broad platforms, and you know what you want and you don't want. Um, and there are you can some you, there are programs like I think Freedom for the Mac is one. It's very simple. It just it takes whatever program you happen to be working in and it'll time you into that program so that you can't depart that program without restarting your computer. So let's say you you want to stay in a like even just a text editing, so you can just write. It'll keep you in that, and you can't go anywhere else until you restart the computer. So you won't be going on to check your Facebook or anything like that. No Instagram journeys while you're trying to work. So we know that our human nature is to be distracted, and we know that, like, um, uh, we make a, basically a pack with ourselves that for the next 60 minutes, you know, Ulysses pack is what they're called. I won't do this. I won't go off, you know, from the text editor. But what will it be like when the operating system will help you do that so you don't need an add-on software? I do not need my computer scolding me right. for playing video games <laughs> right. while I'm trying to write a paper. No, yeah, but kidding. yeah, that's what that is one way that it will feel. But it mm-hmm. might maybe it'll also just feel like an alarm clock. Like I don't need someone telling me to wake up. I'm an adult. I'll wake myself up. But I actually do need to be woken tomorrow at five twenty in the morning. You know what I mean? And, I wonder if it'll feel like six, that natural. Six thirty. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but it, will it feel like that? Will it feel like oh thank God I got that calendar alert telling me I needed to come over for this meeting? Mm-hmm. What what will the operating system look like when I can express nuanced things that I need? I need you to help me manage my time. I need you to keep an, a track of how much I am on social networking sites, or I need you to help me keep track of how much I'm writing or whatever the things that I yeah. might be doing that are sometimes really hard for me to do. And people do this around you know, weight and nutrition um, or you know, exercise and nutrition for weight management pretty naturally. Like you, know, you have an app that tracks your calories. You have an app that tracks your exercise. You have an app that tracks your weight every day. You have all these things. It's the same kind of you're externalizing out responsibility and accountability for those things. What will it be like, though, when the operating system can be like, really? Are you sure you want to do that? Are you sure you want to do this? And we'll help maybe keep you more honest. I sometimes feel like that maybe that's the better angel, appealing to the better angels of our nature and helping us with things. That's like for good. You know, whereas or in the workplace, it'll yeah. end up being all of your operating systems are going to track your every movement Ooh, all right. day long, wow. yep. and you yeah. will stand at that desk and you will oh, not right. do anything, Gosh. Um, mm-hmm. but produce. So, and it goes wow. back to surveillance and accountability, which yeah. I think that if you, you, I, you know, when I'm Just talking with groups, I know. Well, that's the <laughs> thing. You know, I have a slide in a presentation I have that one of them is it has a picture of the DeLorean in a really artistically done way. Um, the DeLorean from Back to the the future and the slide mm-hmm. is you are more responsible for your past than any generation before you and then the another side i have is you are more surveilled than any ge- generation mm-hmm. before you mm-hmm. then if you're more surveilled by um, nature you have to be more accountable there's no just sneaking off to the next town over to be their town drunk um, the way that you might have done it in the olden days because there is no next town over. You don't get to sneak away and just be someone else or do something else. And if you're talking about work, you think about the people who go off and take an hour and a half or a two-hour lunch and, uh, you know, have the, those that three-martini lunch is, uh, you know, because where were you? You're accountable for that time. And I'm not advocating that we should have places where you can have a three-martini lunch all the time, but to know that you could sneak off or you could do this or you could do that or you just are your own person out there, I feel like that on 
when it comes to being accountable and what does that mean, that's a really big one. And surveillance. And then think about the Barbie. And then Barbie is now suddenly like, is it working for the parents to be, you know, what were the things that was being said to the Barbie? Oh, Barbie yeah. was like turning you in to child protective. Exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's uh, one of the things that had, that came that has come up around the Hello Barbie is if a child discloses that they're right. a victim of abuse mm-hmm. or like, you know, uh, I wish my mommy wouldn't get so mad and twist my wrist like that or my yeah. arm or, you know, things like that. Like at what point is, is there some sort of duty to, you know, notify threshold that Barbie suddenly would be in if she were a professional? Now, she's not. She's not a teacher. She's not a counselor. She's not a doctor. She doesn't have a duty to pr- protect or a duty to notify. But the, the, it does. You're in that territory now. And then, what, and if you're running the operating system or the company that runs these systems, and something happens, and you were quote unquote put on notice in some way, do you have? Did you? Should you have had some sort of liability in that? Well, especially yeah, especially if um, the Barbie is giving advice. Yeah, making <laughs> you know, recommendations, making recommendations, those kinds of things. I mean, and, yeah, and it's how, the smallest thing it is. But how? And, and if I if I had Barbie, I might be right. If if I was the manufacturer of Barbie, I could kind of see here are some market penetration points where we have Barbie recommending shoes and recommending clothes and recommending cosmetics and yeah. like that oh, new cereal and all, there's <laughs> just like the sky could be the limit with that kind of stuff. And it really is that subliminal stuff, even yeah. like the slogans, the just do it's and the stuff like that that become yeah. part of it. You know, just inserting language, yeah. certain types of language to get you to to do certain yeah. things. And enculturation into a kind of lifestyle that Barbie is that you're a little slightly more in line. And you do that happens all the time when you go onto a web browser and it records any of your history. You know, you're looking at something, a, a handbag on Amazon, and that handbag will cut, follow you wow. all over the internet no matter where you go and populate into targeted advertising. I can't imagine Barbie's not going to do some of those same kinds of things, you know? So it's well, pretty spooky. I would say we've, we've, we've explored the, the demonized everything yeah. now, but, um, but as far as but like... It's great to bring up these issues, though. It really yeah. is. But I now that knew. we've explored the demonic side of it all and yes. the, the darkest parts of where we could go, right. I still remain optimistic. And I think that um, if if we recognize the power of what's here and we appreciate our own human nature and our relationships to these things, mm-hmm. I hope that we use them for forces of good as we go forward so that schools begin to see the value of things like a virtual reality field trip and why that's so cool and to get kids excited about being involved with it. I don't think we, we – we don't want to be in a place where the private market is always telling us where to be should go, we should be the ones leading it. And so I am really optimistic about that. And that's why I like to, to bring the work in that I do with the teachers and the pre-service teachers I work with. Well, and I'm glad that you're a, you're a thoughtful leader um, out there, you know, in the School of Education mm-hmm. and, and bringing this technology in and having people um, question, yeah. you know, and how this is going to be used. And I just right. thank you for all the work Absolutely. you do here. Absolutely. Well, so. thanks a lot. Yeah. And it's, it's been great being here and I always yeah. enjoy these conversations like we could talk forever. I know. We'll have you back. This is one of our <laughs> yeah. longer podcasts, but we'll yeah. definitely have you back because right. we just love to talk to you. Um, so thank you so much for yeah. coming. Well, thanks, thanks Eric. And you're welcome. Bye. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the UP Tech Talk podcast. Just a reminder that we post a new podcast every Friday morning and you can find us at techtalk.up.edu.